if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And hour number two is underway at nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Tuesday, the ninth morning of the fourth, uh, fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. My, oh my, uh, it is a beautiful day because Tuesday means Kersenow Day. Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, best-selling author, and, uh, of course, his best title is weekly guest on the Bob France Authority, AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, how are you, my friend? Woke up feeling dangerous, Bob. It's a great day in Cleveland. You know, it, it occurs to me that when you look at the Indians' rotation, we've got four guys that could probably be aces for at least 70% of the other Major League Baseball teams. And uh, just so you don't give short shrift to the kid, Shane Bieber could probably be a two uh, on 70% of the other teams. He's our yeah, five. He a, right, right. <laughs> and he could be a number one on a few teams. But, uh, you know, give him a couple more weeks. Let's see how he does. You know, the other guys at least have a little bit of a track record. But, my, my goodness, Clevenger really put one together on Sunday. That was really a tremendous performance. Just just for those who don't know what we're talking about, but we're real super, super quick, because I don't want to do a segment on baseball, but just super quick. Mike Clevenger threw two starts has uh opponents have a batting average against him of point zero five three. Um Trevor Bauer through two starts has an opponent's batting average of point zero two four. Uh in Trevor Bauer's last fifty hitters faced, you know how many of them have hits? One. One hitter in the last fifty he's faced got a hit off of him. Beat it is crazy. And by the way, that doesn't even mention Corey Kluber, who's got one good start and one bad one. Uh or Carlos Carrasco who has had one bad one and one tremendous one in which he struck out twelve in just five innings. So yeah, to underscore your point, holy cow do we have pitching. Yep. Best starting rotation in baseball. I wish we had another bat though. That may be coming. It may indeed be. And by the way, this is the best start, period, under Terry Francona in his tenure through nine games, six and three. And they uh, take on the seven and three Tigers, who are off to a surprising start as well in a three-game series starting today. All right, Peter Kirsten out. Let's talk a little bit uh, about religion. As you and I talked off the air, uh, we're going to talk about religious liberty and the protection of religious liberty. And I want to read a headline to you to talk about something that I spent uh, a good deal of time last week with our audience on, and that is the lawsuit, a federal lawsuit filed uh, on behalf of the Lyceum, which is, of course, a very small, classical Catholic uh, school in South Euclid, 
against the city of South Euclid, which is trying to force uh, its LGBT uh, narrative and uh, and beliefs on uh, on Christian organizations, including schools. And when it comes to hiring and admissions, I want to read this headline to you because actually two headlines to you. One is uh, from uh, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, and it's this headline, The Lyceum versus the City of South Euclid. And it proceeds to tell the story of why the lawsuit was filed. And then there's uh, from prismnews.com, this headline, Catholic school, comma, right-wing hate group join forces to fight South Euclid equality measure. <laughs> At the end of the day is exactly where we are. Uh, there are organizations that believe equality or non-discriminatory policies, particularly against the LGBTQ community, trump uh, anyone's rights, including uh, employers or educational institutions' rights to uh, to to live their lives and run their businesses and run their schools according to Christian or Catholic doctrine. Pete, take it away. Well, first of all, you know that designation hate group is one that's applied to so many different organizations. To a large extent, it's a uh, springboard off of what the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, has been doing for quite some time. So anytime someone defends the First Amendment in a traditional form, that is, the freedom of religion, the ability to express yourself according to your firmly held religious beliefs, you're designated a hate group. But only only goes one way. Uh, you're a hate group only if you are a traditional believing uh, person of the Christian faith or the Jewish faith, sometimes of the Muslim faith. They've even, they had even uh, defamed a, um, a Muslim, uh, and I can't, for the life of me, I, I can't remember his name now, but uh, he, had, uh, he was actually Muslim and came out against radical Islam, the, 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 the terrorists and so on and so forth. Sure. But in any event. Um, that is not something that is uh, surprising in today's context because we see that in a number of arenas. We've seen it with respect to the Lyceum. We've seen it with respect to Masterpiece Cake. We've seen it with respect to the various florists who've been sued and uh, also Chick-fil-A recently in the news because a number of airports have sought to ban them. San Antonio so, um, and Buffalo uh, have both San, done that. San Antonio and yeah. Buffalo, yeah. yeah, exactly right. So uh, the Lyceum, and by the way, I'm I've got some familiarity with Lyceum. I had the privilege of speaking there and uh, got to know the folks there. I've got nothing but great admiration for them. It's a tiny little school in South Euclid. They abide by Catholic doctrine, Catholic teachings. They are an extremely warm and welcoming school. But I want to say one thing. Now, Bob, as you know, I go off uh, on a regular basis and speak and debate at law schools. I've been doing it for more than 20 years, 25 years, and I've been to some of the best law schools in the country. I used to go regularly to University of Chicago to debate, um, uh, Michigan, you name it, all, all across the country. What I'm about to say, I'm not exaggerating at all. Typically, after debates, I get a lot of questions from members of the audience who are law students, and these are fine individuals. They're very, very smart. Good questions. Uh, I'm not exaggerating to say that when I spoke at the Lyceum a little over a year ago, the questions I got from the students, and again, this is, I think it's sixth grade to, through twelfth grade. The Six to questions 12, yep. I got through, from the students were the best questions in terms of the most informed, well-reasoned questions, articulated questions. I was blown away. It's not an exaggeration. No other school that I've ever spoken to had the kind of quality of questions that I got from these students. So I've got nothing but praise for them. Um, so they brought the lawsuit because South Euclid had passed an ordinance that um, there was a number of allegations, and so it's a 250-plus page um, or a paragraph complaint 
And it's brought principally under the First and Fourteenth Amendments, alleging, among other things, that their religious freedom is being circumscribed by a vague ordinance that the city of South Euclid passed that, among other things, according to the allegations in the complaint, compels the Lyceum and its employees, its teachers, who must abide by Catholic doctrine, that's part of how they are organized, to say things that might violate or, or that that the ordinance might be viewed as causing them to compel uh, to, to speak in a certain approved way. That is not to give offense on the basis of gender expression, gender identity, etc., uh, where under Catholic doctrine, according to the complaint, there is only, you know, there's only a biological sense. Um, that's the way that um, God makes uh, one. And it's not to give offense to anyone, but Catholic doctrine does not um, accord that there is a gender expression different from that of what you were made by God. So the complaint says that by virtue of this ordinance, their employees would be compelled to speak a certain way. They may be in violation of the public accommodations provisions of the ordinance, and they had sought, meaning the Lyceum had sought clarification from South Euclid as to whether or not they could comport themselves in accordance with their Catholic teachings, and they didn't get any type of clarity, and they're seeking clarity in the form of injunctive relief, declaratory relief, so that they don't get hit with the fines and possible jail time that the ordinance provides for if you do make certain comments or act in certain ways that um, may be in violation of this statute or this ordinance. Peter Kersenauer is our guest, and we're talking about the Lyceum's federal lawsuit. They are backed, by the way, by the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is the quote-unquote right-wing hate group that the, the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, branded as such, um, doing such incredibly important work, by the way. Um, we've talked about this before. Uh, on behalf of of organizations and individuals who have been discriminated against based on their own Christian beliefs. And, and Pete, they have a long, long list of clients that they're representing, which they represent pro bono, and which is why I always encourage people to support the Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, I talked to the individual, uh, Christiana Holcomb, I think her name was. She's the uh, attorney representing the Lyceum in this case from, uh, from ADF. Um, she kind of tamped down slightly my characterization of the ordinance put forth by South Euclid as being uh, on behalf of the LGBT agenda. Um, she said it's broader than that, and she kind of really tamped that down and, and, and parted away from that. But, but, but the more I read about this, the more it really truly appeals, appears rather to be uh, uh, you know, an attack on Christian institutions like the Lyceum who won't bow and capitulate to the gender norms, or I'm sorry, the uh, the uh, uh, transition away from gender norms that the transgender community and others have have embraced, as well as, of course, same sex sex marriage principles. Um, what am I misunderstanding this? And I know you're not on this case. I know you don't represent them, but just based on what you understand from ADF, uh, are, are are they? Are they steering away from that element of what South Euclid is doing for a reason? You know, this I don't I don't know that they are. I think that they are simply being responsible, contrary to the designation of them being a hate group. They're a very fine organization. They've been involved awesome in the most high profile litigation in the country at the Supreme Court. They know what they're doing. And I think that they're being responsible about this. Uh, and again, contrary to what their opponents would say, they're they don't 
approach this case out of any animus toward any person or group, and they simply want the Lyceum to have their full exercise of first 14th Amendment rights under the law. I don't know that South Euclid had any animus toward Lyceum or anyone else, anyone else of faith in promulgating this ordinance. And I don't purport to know why they promulgated this ordinance. I had written a letter to South Euclid over a year ago before they they tinkered with the legislation a little bit uh, and warned them that based on extant law, there were some problems with the ordinance. Um, they don't have a provision for a religious accommodation, as I recall, in the ordinance. That's right. And in, so, fact, in fact, Pete, you mentioned tinkering, and I'll read you this from ADF. Um, Initial drafts of the ordinance did contain an explicit provision that allowed religious organizations to act consistently with their missions and teachings, but that was subsequently removed uh, from the final text. So it, it seems like it was intentional to say that religious organizations like the Lyceum, you are not exempt from this. And when they went back to the city for clarification, of course, I think you used the word vague before, and that's an understatement about how the city is treating it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I try not to assign certain motivations to people and I try to assume goodwill on the part of, of everyone when they do things. And I'm going to do that with respect to South Euclid. I just happen to think that ADF's complaint is well articulated and there are some problems with respect to the ordinance. So we'll see how that plays out. It's an extraordinarily well-crafted complaint. And, um, you know, I, I think that they've got a very good chance of prevailing. The problem that we have, Bob, is this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're seeing it here in Northeast Ohio with respect to the Lyceum, but we see these types of assaults. And I don't, you know, again, some of these assaults are intentional, some aren't intentional. They, you know, they, they are not out to get Christians or people of faith, uh, but they nonetheless run afoul of the First Amendment and other provisions of the Constitution, and we're seeing more and more of that across the country. Now, I will say that there are many, especially in the political class, who are intentionally assaulting people of faith because those individuals stand in the way of the full realization of the leftist agenda. Uh, I don't think that applies to most people. Uh, who may, you know, support, for example, an ordinance like that of South Euclid. But nonetheless, we see this here with the Lyceum, and I thank God that they are standing up for their rights. They're they're doing the right thing here. You know, tiny little uh, school, and it's a phenomenal school. As I said before, it's truly extraordinary. We've got a gem here in northeast Ohio, and uh, Luke Masick and all the rest of uh, the, the staff at Lyceum need to be commended for that, and other schools like that should be promoted. Uh, if we could get, you know, maybe a thousand more schools like the Lyceum across the country, we'd be yeah. in much better shape. Uh, it, it really is. These are the kind of schools that should be promoted. Um, and I, then we've... I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. Well, I'm just, we're short on time. I need a time out here, Pete, so let me interrupt you there. And I completely agree, by the way, we do need more of them. Pete, let me take our time out here and check our traffic. We'll come right back. I'm going to ask you about a couple of the other issues involving religious liberty as Peter Kirsten outcomes continues with us right here on AM 1420 Games. Get there. 
All right, we do continue now at 1025. I've got five good minutes left with Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, uh, I want to ask you briefly because I read, in fact, I read the entire letter that you wrote to the uh, uh, mayor of San Antonio and the um, uh, San Antonio City Council about their decision to ban Chick-fil-A from being in the airport. Uh, you wrote, of course, on behalf of yourself, but also as a representative of um, the, the Civil Rights Commission. Since that was done, uh, the Attorney General down there, Ken Abbott, I believe, has uh, opened an investigation into the violation of, potentially, of, of, uh, of their uh, rights, uh, Chick-fil-A, that is, their, their uh, religious liberties. Uh, since that happened, Buffalo has gone and done the same thing, said Chick-fil-A, you're not welcome here. In the interest of inclusion, we are excluding you from our airport because we don't like what you stand for. Can you give us a little bit of an update and your thoughts on those? Of course, I weighed in on in both cases, and it caused a little bit of a, a consternation up in Buffalo, especially. Uh, they're still dealing with it up there. The bottom line here is both of these airports sought to ban Chick-fil-A. Um, there are some questions as to who sought the banning, but it appears as if public officials were involved. And at least in one case down in San Antonio, there was some furious uh, virtue signaling going on uh, with respect to Chick-fil-A. And making the public officials are making really what I consider to be inane statements, uh, such as Chick-fil-A and its ownership discriminated on the basis of LGBT, so on and so forth. And there's no evidence of that whatsoever. In fact, if you take a look at Chick-fil-A's record, they have virtually hardly any kind of complaints against them. They're an incredibly well-run organization in terms of personnel, employment issues. Uh, it's really a, a great place. And But the, nonetheless, its owner and its foundation have contributed to, quote-unquote, hate organizations. The hate organizations it contributes to, Bob, Salvation Army, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Junior Achievement, and a youth home. Okay, uh, These organizations happen to have traditional Christian beliefs, and this is, in fact, part of a broader effort you see in the culture. I see it at the Civil Rights Commission. We've been sounding, or at least I've been sounding the alarm on this for a number of years, that there is a furious all-out assault on traditional Christianity, traditional uh, religious beliefs, period. And if, even if you are an agnostic or an atheist, it should concern you for several reasons. First of all, it's the First Amendment. But second, um, if you believe anything, or if you like to think for yourself, this is an assault on you, because if they can dictate to you how you can believe, and if you can be punished for how you believe in Soviet or Maoist fashion, then you're next. Um, that is not an exaggeration, and there's an attempt to squelch certain types of beliefs because they are politically unpopular or because they advance an agenda or the squelching of such beliefs advance an agenda of certain favored groups. This is a real problem, and this is why we've had a First Amendment. This is why part of the founding principles of this country, people fled to the United States or fled to North America to be able to express themselves and conduct themselves in accordance with their firmly held religious beliefs. So the bottom line with respect to the law is that government cannot discriminate against private contractors because of their religious beliefs. And that's precisely what occurred here. And it's a no-brainer. There are at least two Supreme Court cases that deal with this, a number of other federal court cases that deal with this. And so Ken Paxton, uh, Attorney General of... 
Texas is looking into this. I know that up in Buffalo, there have been certain uh, public officials who've weighed in. In, in fact, Bob, even the New York, New York ACLU came out with an extremely strong statement against Buffalo's exclusion of Chick-fil-A. So I'm hopeful that these uh, two cities and their airports will reconsider um, and abide by the First Amendment. Thank you for reminding me about Ken Paxton. I may have misidentified the AG down in Texas when I said that earlier. Uh, last thing before you go, Pete, it's gotten so bad. The attack on Christianity and, and religious liberty, particularly for Christians, that Christians are against it. And here's what I mean by that. You are, you're probably familiar with Baylor University in Texas. It's a small Christian university, small relatively speaking, to compare to the University of Texas, for example. It's a Christian university, and they are petitioning the students there. Thousands of them have already signed a petition to stop a Christian from giving a speech there tonight. Matt Walsh, I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Walsh, but he's a... Uh, radio show host. He is a columnist. He's somehow sometimes on town hall, but he is a strong believer in a strong Catholic believer in traditional marriage. In other words, he is against gay marriage and Christians who should be like, yeah, that's what Christianity teaches are. Oh, my God, uh, we are violated. We are going to be violated. They say that literally not only their mental health is in danger if he comes and gives a speech tonight, but they are in fear for their physical health as well, Pete. Christians turning against Christianity on the basis of all of this uh, this intolerance of Christian beliefs. Yeah, the, uh, intolerance is on the march, and you know, as you indicated at the outset, with respect to San Antonio and Buffalo, the statements made by those who wanted to bar Chick-fil-A were really ironic because they, they said that they need to be excluded because we're an inclusive uh, city or an inclusive airport. Right. It's truly extraordinary. And yeah, there's there's a little bit of cannibalism going on there. I think that everyone's trying to outwoke one another. And unfortunately, at many schools, social justice has supplanted Christianity or has been confused with Christianity. Um, we're in a, a serious time here, and I've said this for a long time on my tenure on the commission. I think the biggest danger that the United States faces in terms of the kind of uh, subjects that the Civil Rights Commission handles, race, sex, national origin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, has to do with the impingement on religious expression. This is very dangerous. It goes to the core of who we are. It goes to whether or not we can believe and have a pluralistic society. Without that, we don't have an America. This is extremely serious. I can't stress it enough. If you read your history, especially that of totalitarian nations, it starts to... We have this gradual slouching, as I think it was uh, Robert Bork said, we have this slouching toward this kind of uh, totalitarianism. And before you know it, some of your freedoms are gone. Peter Kersenow, uh with a walk-off blast. Kersenow has left the building. Thank you, my friend. Great stuff. Take care, Bob. 1032, time for news on AM 1420. <laughs> Ten thirty-eight. Now the Bob France Authority continuing on AM 1420, The Answer. Christianity, I mean, honestly, it, it is really an astounding thing to see the amount of attacks on Christians in what has been predominantly a Christian nation since its founding. And a nation in which our Judeo-Christian values um, continue to be the vast majority. We are a predominantly Christian, Judeo-Christian nation. 
and Christianity is increasingly under attack. It is not being tolerated. It is not being included. It is intentionally being excluded. And it's gotten so bad that Christians are cannibalizing their own in some cases. I mean, what I just started to talk to Peter Kersenow about at the end there, that's a real story. <clears throat> Baylor University. Baylor University uh, in Texas has a guest speaker coming to address the uh, uh, ticket holders tonight. It's a sold-out event. His name is Matt Walsh. He writes for the Daily Wire. He's also a radio host. He's a very popular and very, very dedicated, um, unfailing Catholic. He is a strong believer in the teachings of the Bible. He's a strong believer in Scripture, word for word. He is. Uh, he believes that marriage is between a man and a woman, and he says so. That, of course, makes him to Christian haters uh, anti-LGBT. And if you're anti-LGBT, then, of course, that means you're a hate monger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Left-wing students and faculty, over 2,000 of them at Baylor, which is a Christian school, are trying to shut down this speech by a Christian man preaching a Christian message. Wait, what? Yeah. A change.org petition seeking to censor Walsh titled Stop Matt Walsh, conservative blogger from delivering anti-LGBTQ speech at Baylor, has garnered 2,200-plus signatures. This is as of Saturday morning. The speech is tonight. Lord only knows what happened Sunday and Monday and today. It reads, Baylor University's conservative student group, Baylor Young Americans for Freedom, has invited conservative blogger Matt Walsh to deliver an anti-LGBTQ speech on April 9th. The petition claims, adding, quote, this cannot be allowed to take place. (laughs) An institution of higher learning says that free speech should not be taking place on our Christian campus. Please remove this from campus events. For the benefit of all LGBTQ students, alumni, and future students, this harmful hate speech must be kept off our beloved campus. Over 600 individuals of all stripes, alumni, students, faculty, staff affiliated with Baylor, also signed a letter expressing serious concern with the appearance of Walsh, a conservative Catholic at the purportedly Baptist University. Walsh responded on Twitter on Friday, referring to the letter as, Cowardly, overwrought, dishonest, ridiculous nonsense. He's 100% correct, of course. The open hostility to Christian values such as <gasps> traditional marriage is growing by leaps and bounds all across this country. Baylor wants a Christian university, Baptist to be precise, wants a Christian speaker to be banned from delivering a Christian message. What does that tell you? Baylor University is not truly Christian. Unless, of course, this goes on without interruption. There are Christians in name only who have no earthly belief whatsoever in the message of Christ. So while that's going on, and we've got the Lyceum story that Pete just told us about, and the LGBT, or excuse me, uh, uh, yeah, the LGBT organizations that have petitioned cities like San Antonio and Buffalo to stop Chick-fil-A from selling chicken in restaurants, or excuse me, in, air, uh, in, the, in the airport, rather, 
um, uh, in airport restaurants because of their Christian message. And now we've got Mayor Pete, Democratic presidential candidate, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, who is attacking Christian Mike Pence while proclaiming to be more Christian than he is and seeking victim status for his homosexuality, trying... People talk about things like marriage equality as a moral issue. And it is certainly a moral issue as far as I'm concerned. It's a moral issue because being married to Chaston has made me a better human being. Because it has made me more compassionate, more understanding, more self-aware, and more decent. And more of a grandstander. Using your sexual orientation, your own life choices, to browbeat others into doing the same or accepting the same, as opposed to accepting and believing in their Christian doctrine. That's what you're doing, Mayor Pete. My marriage to Chaston has made me a better man. And yes, Mr. Vice President, it has moved me closer to God. You may be be religious and you may not. But if you are, and you are also queer, and you have... By the way, if somebody who is straight uses that word, the Q word, aren't we in serious trouble? I, I, I think we're in serious trouble if we use that word. I remember as a kid playing a game of football that was different instead of, you know, three on three, five on five, ten on ten. It was every man for himself. The guy with the ball had to run around with it and try to get from point A to point B while everybody else tried to tackle him. It was called smear the Q word. That is a pejorative today. That is a terrible negative word today, and yet apparently it's it's okay for some to use as long as you are projecting um, sexual orientation victim status the way Mayor Pete is. If have come through the other side of a period of wishing that you weren't, then you know that that message, that this idea that there is something wrong with you, is a message that puts you at war not only with yourself but with your maker. And speaking only for myself, I can tell you that if me being gay was a choice, It was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade. He he made this speech, and he made all of these statements addressing Vice President Mike Pence, who never said a word to Pete Buttigieg or about Pete Buttigieg, about his homosexuality, about anything having to do with anything in his personal life. He's attacking Mike Pence as if Mike Pence, the Christian, is the enemy here. He's the, he's the evildoer because all Mike Pence has ever done was said that he believes in God. And he believes in Christian principles. He believes in the Catholic Church. He is an evangelical Christian now. And he believes that marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it. Mike Pence never attacked Pete Buttigieg. Mike Pence never spoke about Pete Buttigieg other than to say he's a patriot and a, and, a, and a good human being. He said a couple of positive things about him in the only public comments he's ever made back in 2015. They were positive. Never another word. And Pete Buttigieg is using his Christianity or his weird version of it to attack Mike Pence's version of Christianity. And that's the thing I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand. That if you've got a problem with who I am, 
Your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. My quarrel, sir, is with you. And it has nothing to do with who you lie with. It has nothing to do with what you believe yourself to be, what your orientation is, what your lifestyle choices are. My quarrel is with you using pseudo-faith to attack another man of faith who never said a word about you. My quarrel is with your grandstanding in an attempt to gain victim status, which leads to more sympathy when you're a victim, which leads to more support when you're a victim, which leads to more votes from the American Democrat Party. That's who my quarrel is with, sir. You're out of line. It has nothing to do with your sexuality. Let's go to, uh, wow, we got a lot of people who have been on hold for an awful long time here. I appreciate you waiting. Thank you. Maureen and Parma, you're up. Go ahead. Maureen, are you there? Yes, uh, I am. Okay, go right ahead, Maureen. Hi there. Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, good. Uh, yes, I've been studying this issue about reparations and slavery for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best thing I've read is about um, Thomas Sowell's writings on slavery were really eye-opening. I was really not aware of the extent of white slavery in the world. And, you know, there was a time when there were more white slaves in Africa than there were black slaves in the United States. And, you know, people don't realize that. And 75% of American families never owned a slave. And it was a small amount of people who owned 1% of the population owned about 40 slaves, you know, from 8 to 40 slaves. Mm -hmm. And a very small percentage owned more than that. So you can't be going after people who had nothing to do with this. But as Thomas Sowell points out, the the advantage that American slaves had was that their lives became much better than the people from where they came from. And we were the ones, this country was the one who had the highest reproduction rates and the best success rates for people after slavery ended than any other country. And South America had the most slaves brought in. And their outcomes were much worse than ours. They didn't reproduce. They weren't educated. Um, it took them a long time to be able to advance themselves. So we're talking about 150 years of slavery, basically. And 150 years later, we're trying to figure out how to pay people back. And the whole concept is just ridiculous. We're in America now, very, and we can do what we want. That is a very, very well-argued uh, uh, point here, Maureen. And I'm going to look more into – I love Thomas Sowell, by the way. He's a brilliant writer, one of my very favorites. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that a little bit more to see exactly what he had to say. I would also, by the way, add to that a chapter in Michael Medved's book, uh, Ten Great Lies About America. And I may be misstating the title. My apologies. It's been a few years since I read it last. But there's a chapter – about the uh, 10 greatest lies about America, and one of them was that slavery was uniquely an American sin and a, you knew uniquely an American institution. And uh, it did go on to point out what you just did. The number of people of all different types of ethnicities and races who have been enslaved through the course of human history, even more modern human history, and you're right, and what Thomas Sowell says is right, there are a lot of... Uh, um, uh, uh, civilizations that in, that employed slavery and and captured 
uh, and and enslaved people again. You know, and we, we can go all the way back to the Bible if you want to talk about the Israelites being enslaved by the Egyptians, uh, and and we can talk about you know uh, all of them. And the only one that seems to be of importance here in the United States is the the um, African slave trade because it is and we are the United States. The rest of those situations, the rest of those institutions of slavery and countries around the world don't seem to matter to anybody. The only thing that matters is what happened here, right here in our own backyard, as you said, 150 years ago. So, But Thomas Sowell is brilliant, and if anybody can really shed some light on this, it would be him, and I will look up those very same writings that you're talking about. Let me get a quick time out here, come back with more phone calls before the top of the hour on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, I was talking about Alliance Defending Freedom with Peter Kersenow and some of the great work they've done, and I'll continue to tell you about them. So many cases out there <clears throat> that are trying to restrict your religious liberty, particularly Christians' religious liberty, uh, people from freely living out their faith. ADF is fighting on your behalf and mine, and Alliance Defending Freedom needs help from time to time. It's a legal organization uniting attorneys, ministry leaders, pastors, and like-minded organizations to defend religious freedom, the sanctity of life, marriage, and family. So I, along with uh, the rest of the folks here at AM 1420 The Answer, are soon going to be focusing on this organization as we get ready for a donor campaign coming up in June. We're going to be asking for your help for the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is providing help for all of us as we struggle against uh, the increasing tyranny against religious liberty. So let's do our part in helping support Alliance Defending Freedom. Go to yourfreedomfund.org, yourfreedomfund.org, for more information. Mary is calling us from Old Brooklyn. Hi, Mary. Go ahead. You're on the air. Mary, are you there? Okay, I'm going to have to move on, Mary. I apologize, but I'm short on time here. Donnie and Euclid, you're next. Donnie, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, we've been talking. We've been talking a long time over the year, so you know where I'm coming from on this issue about uh, people like uh, this mayor from South Bend. Pete. Buttigieg, yeah. One, well, one of the things that he, he seems to fail to realize is that there is a, there is a passage in, in the Bible where the where the where the uh, master says, "By their fruits you will know them," and we see what his fruits are, and he claims to be a Christian, but yet he's for the killing of children. What would he have advised Ma- the Virgin Mary when she was pregnant? Number one, and number two, if he if he's as truly Christian as he claims to be, either he must not read the, read, read certain parts of the Bible, or he must ignore them, chiefly the first chapter of, of Romans. Donnie, that is a, a very good point, and I appreciate the phone call, my friend. Pete Buttigieg has a lot to learn about uh, Scripture and about faith and about uh, uh, his Christianity, and I think uh, the fact that he's trying to say, I'm more Christian than you, Mike Pence, because I'm married to another guy, I think is disgraceful. Not him being married to another guy being disgraceful. That is simply against Christian teachings, which I agree with the Christian teachings. But his trying to judge, what didn't the Bible also say, judge not, judge not, yes, lest ye be judged? Uh, he's trying to judge Mike Pence simply for Mike Pence believing in Scripture. That is what is disgraceful. Navy man Norm in Strongsville. Norm, go ahead, sir. Peter Kirsten now and you, Bob, hit a home run this morning because I just saw where the number one religion, religion, quotation marks, in the United States today, is atheism. 
They've passed up the Catholic Church, which was number one. Uh, the Protestant Church is now number three, but uh, 26% of Americans now claim to be atheists. So that tells you all the animus and the hatred directed towards Christianity, where it's coming from, because I'm sure it's infected the media, our governments, as you can see, because Chick-fil-A is such a terrible, terrible organization because they close on Sunday and they <laughs> donate to uh, good uh, good meaning uh, organizations. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah, the Family Research Council, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, these are just really horrible organizations that they donate money to. I can see why people would not want to be associated with, with such terrible things. Uh, Norman, yeah, I know. right as always, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. God bless. Let me get one more call in from Jan in Greater Cleveland. Jan, you're on the air. Good morning. Go ahead. Uh, Buttigieg owes a huge apology to Mike Pence. Mike Pence said nothing but decent things about that man, and he doesn't want acceptance. He wants the moral high ground. They're sick. I'm sorry. You know, that's a great that's- point, and it's interesting. He wants he wants two things that would seem to be at odds with one another. He wants the moral high ground, and he wants victimhood status. I cannot overstate this. This is what the left tries to do. This is what intersectionality has brought. I'm a member of a protected class. I'm a member of a discriminated against group. I'm a member of a, an ethnic minority, a sexual minority, a gender minority, a sexual orientation minority, a racial minority. I'm some sort of a minority group. Therefore, I am entitled to special considerations. He's trying to play the victim while also trying to proclaim the moral high ground, as you just said. And that is absolutely shameful. Pete Buttigieg is not someone to be admired here, and it has nothing to do. He, of course, would say, well, it's because you're homophobic. No, 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 no. It has to do with the fact that you have no, um, no actual integrity, and you're trying to use your sexuality to demonize someone else. Mike Gallagher's next. We'll see you tomorrow on the Bob Brant's Authority. Silence.